This is an ABC podcast. This is America if you're listening. I'm Matt Bevan. Yes, we have changed the name because season four is going to be all about the last four years in America. In November, Donald Trump will take a tilt at a second term. I, Donald John Trump, do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. But as the days tick down on Trump's first term, I want to know, what kind of a president has he been? At the start of this journey, when Donald Trump was inaugurated, he made five promises to the American people. We will make America strong again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. So, four years on, how has he left his mark on the United States and the world? When this bright-eyed reality TV star promised, Together, we will make America great again. Did he live up to it? Thank you, God bless you, and God bless America. Thank you. God bless America. Today, the promise to make America safe again. At some point, all leaders must deal with natural disasters. And Donald Trump's greatest test was a hurricane. This is our brand new one that formed today. It was a tropical uh, depression earlier and strengthened into a tropical storm. In September 2017, Hurricane Maria approached the island of Puerto Rico. As a Category 3 major hurricane, 120 mile per hour winds, and right now the forecast track puts it uh, very close to, if not on top of Puerto Rico, so definitely something to keep an eye on. Alejandro Calaf rushed to his dad's house to shelter and wait out the storm. Sounded like the wind that gets picked up and the ground that gets shooken up when a freight train is going by. Just a constant rumbling sound and the howling wind. It was an experience unlike any other that you feel the force, that kind of force from Mother Nature. Hundred-year-old trees being snapped in half. Uh, there wasn't one tree that was spared. There basically was not one tree, one leaf up in uh, any tree trunk or branch. The level of damage is something that I've never experienced in my life or, or seen. And was it frightening as it went over? <sighs> oh yeah, it was. It was. That night felt like uh, you were going to hell and coming back. As the winds died down, Alejandro ventured into the mountainous regions to help people who were cut off. There was a lady that I was helping in um, of the mountains of Puerto Rico that not only did she lose the roof of her house, but she spent two days uh, hiding from the storm inside her horse stable. Even in, even that stable had the uh, the roof ripped off. I don't know how she survived, but she basically did. His friends who volunteered found much worse. They had gotten to the end of the road that had been cut off by a mudslide, so they went hiking for about a couple of hours where the road used to be, and they walked into a home where there was an elderly woman thanking them that she had been praying for them to arrive so if they would be kind enough to help her bury her son on their backyard because he had died the day of the storm. 
And when my friends told me, they looked into the house and they saw the body on the um, on the couch in the living room. And then they just dropped everything, grabbed their shovels, went to the backyard and basically buried people, <laughs> buried family members in their backyard. Hurricane Maria was catastrophic, the worst natural disaster to ever hit Puerto Rico. But more horror was still to come. All the phones went off, and the internet, and the running water, the entire island went black. Nobody had any idea how long the darkness would last. The mayor of San Juan, Carmen Yulin Cruz, knew without the US government, more people would die. I know that leaders aren't supposed to cry. But we are having a humanitarian crisis. And we're doing all we can. And the worst fear is that we cannot get to everyone in time. And she begged for help. And help needs to get into people's hands. Now. Not tomorrow. Not later. Now. But help wasn't coming. What happened in Puerto Rico next... How Donald Trump and his administration responded to the disaster caused by Maria would shape the way he would handle every subsequent disaster. We are also praying for the people of Puerto Rico. We love Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. And we also love Puerto Rico. (laughs) It would create a roadmap for how he responded to every disaster that would come next. But to understand how it all played out, we need to go back to a different hurricane a few weeks earlier, one which hit Texas. And Trump distinguished himself with one of the best natural disaster responses America had ever seen. This hurricane, the first test of President Trump's response to a natural disaster. Hurricane Harvey made landfall in Texas in August 2017. We can obviously tell already at this stage, this is going to be a very major disaster. Governor Greg Abbott declared a natural disaster before the hurricane even arrived and notified President Trump that he was going to need help. We are going to be dealing with immense, really record-setting flooding in multiple regions across the state of Texas. As the hurricane hit Texas, killing more than 100 people and destroying hundreds of thousands of homes, the president promised rapid assistance for people hit by the flooding. Still a lot of rain. Nobody's ever seen anything like it. They've, I've heard the words epic. I've heard historic. That's what it is. But you will have uh, what you want, I think, very, very quickly. And they did. The Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, was on the ground in Texas before the hurricane even arrived. And the governor was thrilled with the work they did. i got to tell you, I give FEMA a grade of A+. Uh, all the way from the president down, from the White House to the federal administration to FEMA, they've been very helpful. Donald Trump was in Texas days after the hurricane, and he was in a very good mood. As tough as this was, it's been a wonderful thing. I think even for the country to watch and for the world to watch. It's been beautiful. Have a good time, everybody. I'm going to be doing a little help over here. Trump was positively chipper, and there's a reason for that. Because handling natural disasters badly can be extremely damaging for a president. George W. Bush never really recovered from his botched handling of Hurricane Katrina in 2005. I thought long and hard about Katrina. You know, could I have done something differently? 
He was criticised for his lack of interest in the destruction of New Orleans, a predominantly black city. During a live telethon raising money for victims, Kanye West went off script, stared straight at the camera, and before they could cut his mic, he said, George Bush doesn't care about black people. Donald Trump got the impression people were happy with the way he had handled the first big natural disaster of his presidency. He doubled down, making it clear how much he cared about the victims of the hurricane in Texas by chipping in money from his personal bank accounts. The president will uh, be announcing um, the donations that he will be personally making to the various charities that will be a personal donation of a million dollars from the president. Just weeks later, another hurricane hit this time in Florida. Hurricane Irma killed 96 Americans. The president made it clear that he would do what it took to look after the victims, whatever the cost. It's going to cost a lot of money. Right now we're worried about lives, not cost. And again, Trump was praised by the state's governor for how he handled the disaster. I can tell you the the White House has been outstanding. I talked to President Trump three times yesterday. Two hurricanes, around 200 people dead, and two successful responses from the Trump administration. In Texas, power was restored to essentially everyone in Houston in less than two weeks. In Florida, it took 10 days. Trump and his emergency management guy, Brock Long, had sent essentially every federal resource to Texas and Florida, including stuff that was stored on Puerto Rico. More than 80% of supplies already stored on the island came to Florida after Irma. All of the federal government's resources were devoted to Texas and Florida. But then just days after Florida's hurricane, another storm formed. This was heading for Puerto Rico, which had been left with no resources at all. The timeless surf pounds this Caribbean shoreline of what Christopher Columbus dubbed El Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico's history as part of America is quite strange. The rich port, when he discovered it on his second voyage westward in 1493. Won by America in a war with Spain at the turn of the 20th century, the people who live there have been counted as American citizens for more than 100 years. Complete self-government was approved by the U.S. Congress, and union by consent with the United States was overwhelmingly voted by the people of Puerto Rico. American citizens all. And yet they live in a strange kind of limbo. They're Americans, but they don't get to vote for president or Congress. There are no customs barriers. The U.S. dollar or dime is standard currency. They can move to the mainland, though and many of them do. In the 1960s, nearly 10% of the population of New York had been born in Puerto Rico. It's a vacation paradise 12 months of the year. A paradise it may be, but it is very poor. Decades of neglect by the US government and enormous corruption and mismanagement by the island's local government means Puerto Rico has dreadful infrastructure. You have generation issues, you had power line issues, You have age of infrastructure issues. Now, three and a half million people live on an island a fifth the size of Tasmania, in homes barely built to withstand a strong wind. On the 20th of September 2017, Hurricane Maria made landfall, bringing with it 220 kilometre per hour winds and up to 90 centimetres of rain. I have been in a storm about half that strong, and it felt like the apocalypse. 
Not one part of Puerto Rico was spared. There was no way to calculate a death toll because people couldn't get into rural areas to count the bodies. Soon after the winds died down, one of America's foremost experts in hurricane response sounded the alarm that this was worse than other storms that year. Florida was a textbook operation. General Calhoun put his guard in. The federal troops came in by sea and by air, and it was a textbook operation. It was a difficult operation. We needed even more than that. Scale up. Lieutenant General Russell Honoré is a no-bullshit kind of guy. He became a national hero in 2005 after the mayor of New Orleans credited him with turning around the disastrous response to Hurricane Katrina. And I give the president uh, some credit on this. He sent one John Wayne dude down here that can get some stuff done. And his name is General Honoré. And he came off the doggone chopper and he started cussing and people started moving. And this time around, General Honoré metaphorically got off the doggone chopper again. Despite being retired, he said he was happy to help if someone would just give him a call. Katrina, I had 20,000 federal troops, not federal workers, federal troops. I had 20 ships and over 240 helicopters. And Puerto Rico is bigger than Katrina. And if somebody from the Pentagon want to call me or from Northern Command, call me, I'll give you the damn numbers. That's not what happened, though. In the days after Hurricane Maria, President Trump made it clear things would be different. Florida's doing really well. So Texas, Florida, uh, we give it an A+. But Puerto Rico is a whole different category in many ways, in many ways. Different. He didn't just mean the storm was bigger or the damage was worse. He meant the way he felt about Hurricane Maria was different. General Honoré put it down to racism. And the president has shown again, he don't give a damn about poor people. You don't give a damn about people of colour. Donald Trump was on the ground in Florida and Texas on the fourth day after their storm. The fourth day after Maria, he had not even begun to make plans to visit Puerto Rico. In fact, no White House officials had been to the island at all. The president repeatedly said that while he was happy to help out, Puerto Rico's big debts to Wall Street were a problem. Ultimately, the government of Puerto Rico will have to work with us to determine how this massive rebuilding effort will end up being one of the biggest ever will be funded and organized and what we will do with the tremendous amount of existing debt already on the island. By the ninth day after the storm, Carmen Yulin Cruz, the mayor who begged the US government for help, was no longer crying. She was furious. I am begging, begging anyone that can hear us to save us from dying. If anybody out there is listening to us, we are dying and you are killing us with the inefficiency and the bureaucracy. She began tweeting angrily about the failure of the Trump administration. The president tweeted back, accusing her of poor leadership from his golf resort in New Jersey. General Russell Honoré wasn't impressed. The mayor's living on a cot, and uh, I, I hope the president have a good day at golf. The storm was over, but the catastrophe had just begun. Alejandro Calaf and his neighbours in the city of San Juan walked out of their houses onto the decimated street and began the clean-up. 
neighbors, basically, we all knew that it was up to us to take care of each other for now. So without any hesitation or without any formal organization, basically all neighbors came out with machetes and saws and gas-powered saws to basically clear the streets from uh, vegetative debris and in some cases of uh, power lines that had fallen to the ground because we knew it would be, it would take a couple of weeks for have the municipal trucks come by. And it actually turned out to be more like three weeks to a month and a half until all uh, the debris was cleared out from the neighborhood. Not to mention that, at least in my neighborhood, I got power back maybe 43 days after the storm had passed. In some cases, people didn't get power back for about nine months or to 10 months after the storm had passed. So you can imagine. That's extraordinary. Yeah, it was. Puerto Rico was wrecked. You might think that the best thing to do is to send in the military to help out. But instead, the federal and Puerto Rican governments put it out to private contractors. And that didn't go great. A company called Whitefish scored a $300 million contract to rebuild Puerto Rico's power grid. Whitefish had two employees and no experience restoring power to anyone, let alone three and a half million people on an island. So how did they score the contract? I found him on LinkedIn. <laughs> you found Prepa yeah. on LinkedIn? You bet. <laughs> you use LinkedIn to get a $300 million contract. LinkedIn's going to love this, but yeah. <laughs> When it was discovered they didn't know what they were doing, they were replaced by a power company called Cobra. They at least appeared to have some expertise in the area. A FEMA official spoke glowingly about the work they did. Cobra came in right afterwards, took a risk. They're still there, doing an amazing job um, with the technical uh, aspects that they bring to the table. But it seems not to have all been above board. That FEMA official, her assistant, and the CEO of Cobra are currently awaiting trial on charges of being involved in a massive bribery scheme surrounding the awarding of that contract. But look, building a new power grid is a big task. What about smaller tasks, like giving people food? FEMA contracted a woman in Atlanta to provide 30 million hot meals to Puerto Rico. I think FEMA took a chance because they wanted the lowest bid. Her low bid was $156 million. She had no staff and no experience in this, so she brought in a wedding caterer and a charity. They managed to produce 50,000 cold meals instead of 30 million hot ones before their contract was cancelled. Okay. Maybe food is too hard. What about something as simple as a tarp? So homes that here were salvageable, if they had just gotten some decent tarpaulin... To keep the rain out. To keep the, the rain out within, you know, right away, within a week, would have been largely salvageable. FEMA needed 500,000 tarps. They gave the $30 million contract to two brothers in Minnesota with no experience in disaster management or tarps. They delivered zero tarps. FEMA then gave the tarp contract to a company specialising in kitchen utensils. They delivered zero tarps. Then to a company which specialised in importing tobacco for hooker pipes into America. They did deliver the tarps, but also defrauded the government of millions of dollars in a massive money laundering scheme for which they are now awaiting sentencing. In search of the lowest bid, FEMA hired fraudsters and charlatans. Puerto Ricans 
suffered the consequences. When the federal government finally did get aid to the island, it was just dumped at the shoreline. Puerto Ricans were told to use their own trucks to ship it where it needed to go. Keep in mind, most of the roads were still blocked. The Navy, the Air Force, the Marines, I think... Donald Trump arrived on the island two weeks after the hurricane, expecting the same kind of reception he'd got in Texas and Florida. Trump visited a shed in San Juan where supplies were being distributed. Well, what I see is uh, an incredible... An incredible job done by FEMA, and uh, again, the job that's been done here is really nothing short of a miracle. He had a great time tossing paper towels out at the hurricane victims. There's a lot of love in this room. A lot of love in this room. Great people. The vision of the president shooting paper towel rolls into the crowd like a basketball became the most enduring image of the disaster response. But really the part you should remember is from a few minutes later. Trump sat down with the leaders of Puerto Rico and blamed them for the cost of their own hurricane. I hate to tell you, Puerto Rico, but you've thrown our budget a little out of whack because we've spent a lot of money on Puerto Rico and that's fine. We've saved a lot of lives. Trump gradually became more annoyed with how much Hurricane Maria was costing the government, reportedly telling his staff to cut off the funding completely. The amount of money spent on Puerto Rico is still less than was spent in Florida or Texas, and much less than was spent in Louisiana after the devastating Hurricane Katrina. Which could be justified if Puerto Rico's disaster was less serious. The best way we have to measure the severity of a disaster is a crude one, the death toll. Every death is a horror. But if you look at a real catastrophe like Katrina, and you look at the tremendous hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that died, and you look at what happened here with really a storm that was just totally overpowering. Nobody's ever seen anything like this. And what is your what is your death count as of this moment? 17? 16 certified. 16 people certified. 16 people versus in the thousands. Trump says in a real catastrophe, thousands of people die. That death toll gradually increased to 64. But 64 people dead. For locals like Alejandro Calaf, something seemed wrong with that count. We knew that that could have never been an accurate count. Nobody in Puerto Rico really believed it. The day that Trump visited Puerto Rico, 125 death certificates were issued for that very same day. Yet that was still not counted onto uh, the official death toll. Experts in the field of disaster response started to investigate. Dr. Sachit Balsari of Harvard University was part of a team that went door-to-door interviewing Puerto Ricans three months after the storm to see how many people they knew had died and what from. It was often just difficulty getting medicines, right? They ran out of medications and were unable to procure medications, unable to use their respiratory equipment at home because of the prolonged absence of electricity, uh, lack of access to water, unable to reach clinics or their clinics were shut or the doctors weren't there, and so on and so forth. But it wasn't just in people's homes. FEMA said they didn't have enough generators to get supermarkets and hospitals up and running. They're hard to get. We had hurricanes in Texas and Florida. They have to be specifically ordered. They have to be engineered and created in the States or somewhere. So all of that's taking longer than everybody would like, but it's because of the two other hurricanes and because it's an island. 
By this stage, power had already been restored in Texas and Florida. They didn't need generators anymore. But even the generators they did get to Puerto Rico weren't running because they couldn't get diesel to run them, even in hospitals. So people died yesterday because there was no diesel in the place that they were at. Where did this happen? In San Juan. But where was it? Hospital. They died in the hospital because there wasn't diesel? There's no diesel, there's no life support system. The death toll was rising. Researchers from two universities surveyed thousands of people, hospitals and funeral homes and came up with a number, which the governor of Puerto Rico eventually announced. And it wasn't 64. It was... 2,975. 2,975. Two fewer than died in the September 11th attacks, twice as many as died in Hurricane Katrina. When the death toll started to circulate, President Trump called it fake news. He said the increase in fatalities was done by the Democrats in order to make me look as bad as possible. Donald Trump learned that if a disaster on your watch starts to make you look bad, you have to lie about it. And he carried what he'd learned with him through the rest of his presidency. Two years later, he would use a black pen to adjust a weather map to try and show that he knew what was going on with a different hurricane. When unprecedented wildfires ravaged California, he insisted it was because the locals hadn't raked the leaves out of the forests, rather than the increasingly serious effects of climate change. And when a pandemic arrived in America, well, that's a story for later in the series. In Puerto Rico, the locals are still picking up the pieces. Alejandro Calaf now runs a charity providing water filters to people on the island, and he says change is desperately needed. A change in this pre- in this president is, is is absolutely necessary. I mean, a lot of past presidents haven't, at least in my lifetime, haven't really shown much interest or care. Whereas, well, Mr. Trump, he is an openly racist person. So a change is most definitely needed for Puerto Rico and it will be really welcome in respects to uh, different leadership in Washington. Uh, We desperately, desperately need that uh, because he treats us like we're a burden. Donald Trump promised to make America safe again, but when he was first challenged to deliver on that, he only delivered for some Americans, the ones in Texas and Florida. Puerto Rico was left in ruins. America, If You're Listening, is written by me, Matt Bevan. It's produced by Yasmin Parry and Will Ockenden. Our interview producer is Alex Tai. Next. Donald Trump was elected with the help of the National Rifle Association. But once he became president and had to deal with mass shootings, he started to turn on the NRA. Half of you are so afraid of the NRA. There's nothing to be afraid of. And you know what? If they're not with you, we have to fight them every once in a while. That's okay. And just as he said he was going to take them on, the NRA was imploding. I think it's time. It's time that a president stepped up. When the moment came to take on the most powerful gun lobby in America, did Trump take a stand or did he flinch? That's next on America If You're Listening. 